You are now listening to the Here for the Truth podcast, hosted by Joel Rafidi and Erasmus Stylianessis. All right, everybody, welcome to episode 26 of Here for the Truth. Such a pleasure to have you all here. Um, we've got another incredible guest today, but just quickly, as always, the first half of this episode will be available to the public and the second half to our members on Patreon. I just want to give a quick shout out to, to Charlene, too, who's one of our philosopher patrons. Appreciate you. And Kyle. Kyle oh, joined Kyle us well. on the philosopher level as well. So grateful to have you both there and thank you for your support. Absolutely. Today, we have Beth Martins. Um, Beth is someone who I've become acquainted with and I will consider a personal friend and someone who I have deep ad- admiration for, honestly. Here's a little bit about Beth. For archetype, purpose, and business coach, author, and coach trainer, Beth Martins, her calling is a life or death thing. After a decade as a corporate VP in her family's firm, eight trips to India, and a three-year battle with cancer 20 years ago, she used archetypes to save her life. Today, she helps truth lovers find their sacred purpose and be valued for their life's work and survive the ordeals of their hero's journey. As a recovering feminist, she helps strong men to survive their missions and hosts the King Hero's Journey podcast to highlight important leaders, entrepreneurs, movement makers, and purveyors of the truth. Beth, thank you for being here. Such a pleasure. I'm, I'm thrilled to be here. I'm a fan of both you guys. Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, really excited for this conversation. I heard your uh, interview with uh, Michael and David over on Unslaved, and it was amazing. Right on. Thanks. That was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I'd, love to, I'd love to start this with you. Um, your, your particular truth journey, how you came to be here for the truth, those key rites of passages, and what, what that transition was like for you. Uh, Yeah, a lot of layers, a lot of timelines, and mostly in my past, I I ran with blinders on. Mm -hmm. I knew it was bad out there, but in order for me to do my work, I had to just, or I felt like I had to just do this and stay in my lane. And then uh, at the time when my mother was passing, she was in palliative care, and uh, she was doing a, a very deep dive on the heels of 2017. I had a client walk through my door telling me that she was a victim of satanic ritual abuse and uh, child trafficking. Wow. And I'm like, wow, that sounds bad. But I really didn't. I mean, I understand what trafficking, trafficking is, of course, but the, the, the ritual abuse I wasn't aware of. And so it took us a month to get to work together because I was um, you know, helping my mom die and, and, and she did end up passing. And then I went down the rabbit hole because I couldn't look away anymore. Somebody, you know, a living, breathing person was asking for my help and I needed to understand where she came from. And so, as you know, it's, uh, you know, it's not, oh, just not, not one crazy person. There's this, this is a worldwide network and it's connected with all of these um, institutions that it, it pretty much covers every possible area of life. And so again, I knew things were bad out there, but I had no idea how interconnected the whole thing was, how much it was tied to a global agenda. And, uh, and then, so I started putting the pieces together and I fell apart, like just mm. completely 
uh, messed up, right? Like your, your, your world as you know, it dies. And, uh, oh, it's all a lie. Every little bit of it is a lie. Okay. You know, I had one friend walking with me at the time that was very fortunate because her and I could talk and I could, you know, say, oh my God, I found this. And we were, we were uh, supporting each other in the process. It wasn't really until the pandemic hit that I decided I was going to come out and, and start speaking all of that, which I knew at that point. But uh, I, I feel fortunate that I was able to do all of that emotional work, like fall apart and put myself back together before things got really crazy. Yeah. And, uh, and now it's been a complete turnaround, as, as you guys likely know, that once you align yourself with the truth, anybody who's not aligned doesn't like you anymore. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. So I had a huge evacuation of people <laughs> from my, from my, you know, email list and my social media. I was, I looked up one time and like, boom, my, my uh, Facebook, my fake book numbers dropped by 150 and in, in just like a morning. Mm. And it was a trial by fire, a lot of, a lot of fighting, a lot of battles took a lot of hits in that time. But in the end, it's been so beautiful because as they vacated, the truth community moved in. And I created so many amazing allies and friends. And my podcast really started to take off, highlighting the strong men out there. You guys are going to be on soon. And, uh, you know, those that are, that are really willing to take the hits and speak the truth, regardless of the, the cost, because yeah. they know that their soul is a much higher cost if they sign that over to the wrong side. So that's, that's how I awakened. I I knew right from birth that things weren't right. My first word was no. I was always the kid that would point out things that weren't right. And I was just a pain in everybody's neck. They they would get nervous to see me coming sometimes. So, you know, you, you said something that we talk about on this show and that has just been a common thing among so many people that have been aligned in this path of truth is that these relationships are falling away and that these incredible new deeper soul family relationships are coming in and it's just so amazing to witness i mean even just joel and myself you know we met when did we connect march yeah and you're you're my brother you know and and some of the people who i'm connecting with now like that i consider like my closest friends and i still have a couple of my og homies you know like that I've been hanging out with and we've been going down the conspiracy rabbit holes for years, but especially in this area, just people I've known in the last year and like so much love, so much respect. And it's beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Most of my best friends are new friends. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. I mean, I've, I've had, I've had friendships of 20 plus years and, and this year I've been, you mean uninvited from weddings, um, you know what I mean? Of whom these people I thought with, with this this falling out would never be possible, you know. But I mean, this this line that's being carved between us is just becoming thicker and thicker by the day and and by the minute. And it's really one of those things where it's it's very difficult to have feet on, on both sides at this point. Particularly, you mean when, when once people have families, then they become accountable for decisions that they make for their families, you know, and it's 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 a big divide, you know. But you know, in my opinion, it's always equivalent to something that's taking place inside us. And like as you as you mentioned, that evacuation of your friends on some level is equivalent to evacuation of lies within yourself, right? And the truth that you're letting in is the truth that we receive externally. Um and uh, yeah, that's, that, that's my usual key message in, in this situation. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, exactly. And uh, 
as you read in, from my bio there, that another major awakening time in my life was when I was confronted uh, by losing my life mm-hmm. and having to face that uh, in, a, in a very real way. I was told by doctors I wouldn't survive. I had had a near-death experience. There was no sign of me recovering. And they were offering me a stem cell transplant to give me half a chance to live. And that didn't seem right to me. The, the violence that a stem cell transplant is, was something that I, I thought, well, you know, that could kill my soul. Am I here to protect my body at all cost, Or am I here to nurture and grow my soul, knowing mm-hmm. that death doesn't touch it? Yeah. And so I went through that wall of fire and was able to see things inside myself that I hadn't seen before. Like you said, the, you know, most of the battle is in here. Yeah. Whatever is going on out there, it's reflecting your own inner conflict. And uh, so that was that was a big window into me, in, in, in for me to self-honesty. It, it roots right back to that original word, no, that I had the rebel that uh, I was being both without a cause and also in a very, uh, you know, I was trying not to be a rebel because it got me in so much trouble in my life, which I write about extensively in my book. Yeah. And uh, I was always trying to, you know, be in the corporate world with my family's business. And I wore a suit and I had this persona of being a normal person. I was trying to go out with normal guys and, you know, make money. And I had, I had got a house and a car and all those things that I thought would get the approval of my, my family. And then I nearly died of it. So it was a big calling, like, no, this is an important part of yourself. You're a fighter for a reason. You just need to know what it is you're actually fighting for. Mm. And, you know, rather than running from the fear of death and the fear of disapproval, I started running out of love mm-hmm. for, for my life, things that I'm passionate about and, and care about. Yeah. Can you, can you talk a little bit about like that time 20 years ago when, when you, you know, were diagnosed and what was going on for you and, and what decisions and choices you made to, um, let's say, say no, again, N-O, to more conventional ways of, of trying to handle the diagnosis and going on your own journey? Yeah, the day I went to the surgeon to get the results of my biopsy, I had, I had found a great big lump in my neck. It took me months to get diagnosed because I had a severe fear of the medical system. Now we can see it playing out full, mm-hmm. medical tyranny going on. And uh, so by the time I go for the diagnosis, I was pretty sure the surgeon was going to say, Beth, you're just being a hypochondriac, go back to work. I was already feeling tortured in my work. Some days I wanted to throw myself off the building. I was really leading a double life, being in business during the day, during the week, and then doing everything that I loved on the side, trying to hide, make sure that nobody in the business world knew that about me, and also make sure that nobody in the spiritual world saw my business side because they, mm. they didn't get along. And it was so much inner conflict that instead of just consciously dis- deciding to get out of it, knowing it was wrong... I invented a stage four lymphoma. And that's, that's what uh, the results that I got that day at the surgeon, I never did return back to my office. I, I, I knew it was over at that point. And, and, you know, not necessarily I was over, but, but my double life was over. And, uh, and it was a three-year journey. I was really afraid that that was going to become the subject of my life. I did try to avoid the Western medical system like the plague because I was, uh, you know, I knew too much about natural health at that point. I had seen many people in in my world be cut up and poisoned and all kinds of gory things with the medical system. 
And what you resist persists. So after many months of trying the natural route, I even you know moved to Vancouver. I worked with a, a high level naturopathic doctor there who treats people from all over the world. They come from California, you know, actors, actresses. There, he's he's very in demand. And I got some results, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars later. But next thing you know, I started to do the slow decline again. And he sent me home to do what he thought was radiation. It turned into uh, 11 months chemotherapy the first time, then I almost died. Had a, I, I really thought there was a moment where I was losing my life. It was over. That was extremely profound because I got to see death for what it is, a big fat nothing. It's just nothing. I let, I let death have me. And on the other side of that, I found nothing but joy and self-realization, a very strong awareness of, um, you know, not in detail what, but the blueprint of my purpose. And I saw that I don't get out of it. It didn't matter if I was going to die that minute or 20 years or 100 years from then. I was contracted mm. to this sacred purpose. And it wasn't just about me and what I did. It was about me and how I was here to serve others. And so going through that experience it actually gave me so much energy that I went into remission. Not only I didn't die, but I, I healed to a certain extent. Uh, I was so damaged by the chemo at that point, though I couldn't recover. It was 18 months later, I was re-diagnosed. And at that point, they told me I was going to die the second uh, round of a stage four lymphoma or, or of a Hodgkin's lymphoma, which it was. Uh, they, they the statistically people don't survive it. So that's when I went into daily chemotherapy. I had no resistance whatsoever to the medical system at that point. I actually gave myself to them. I buried my rebel and just handed myself over. Uh, I still fought with the doctors, but not successfully. You know, I tried to integrate the the natural medicine with the Western medicine to no success whatsoever because they just simply don't don't uh, talk to each other. There's no there's a, a complete mismatch there. And then I, I, I took that deep dive. Okay, what is killing me? By that point, I'm doing everything right. I changed my diet. I you know, got serious counseling. I did energy work. Uh, you, you name it, the thousands of dollars in supplements and all kinds of natural, I probably nine different people on my team helping me, but there I was still a dying person. And it was at that moment when Carolyn Miss published the Sacred Contracts. Mm -hmm. I'd been following her work already. I got a lot out of it. I grabbed that book off the shelf, not knowing even what it was about. And it turned out to be all about archetypes that I had only studied about in university, never actually used them to do any inner work. And uh, very quickly led me to this realization that, you know, if you're coming from the unconscious primarily, it's fear-based and it's going to draw in what you're afraid of. So there I was, I was afraid to get sick and die. And, and I was in that exact situation. And uh, by seeing the one archetype that was so out of alignment, the rebel, I, I saw the error of my ways. I shone light on it. I, I uh, came clean, you know, there's a certain self-forgiveness that took place. And uh, I literally went from being a dying person to a living person practically overnight. I recovered so much energy that I healed and never had to look back. I refused the stem cell transplant with confidence, no, still not, not knowing if I was going to live or die because I, I couldn't see the future, but I was willing to face my death head on. And, and know that it's a reality. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't bind me. It's not my enemy. It's a, it is a big fat illusion. 
because life is eternal. And, uh, and then looking back, I get to see, oh, wow, that's, you know, and then I got to decode, how did that work? Because <laughs> yeah. it was, it was a mystery to me. So like, literally this external conflict, which was created by an aspect of yourself, which you didn't realize you suppressed is was was kind of the, the catalyst for, for your deterioration. And the moment you recognized the suppression of this an integral part of yourself and you release that and you freed that your your body began to recover exactly and I, I often say this maybe you've heard me say it already but uh you know i don't know how to heal from cancer yeah but free free energy does yeah so getting the keys to freeing up your energy that is is locked in the unconscious by tacit agreement you know, we've got, we've got a, a matrix that's never going to tell us to do this deep inner work. It wants us afraid every single day. There's fear coming down the pipe and it doesn't matter if it comes from mainstream media. It, they've, they've got a whole plan for us too on the other side, right? That there's all the fear porn that, that we're victim to as well. Yeah. But if you understand like, what am I doing here? I'm, I, I'm not, living to avoid death. That's not the purpose of life to avoid death. Death is inevitable. You know, if that were the point, then we all fail at life, every single one. And so my, my focus came really to the soul and what kind of work can I do there? Because you can completely heal the soul and still die in your, in your physical form. So there was a, a great deal of freedom came of that. And I wasn't in that intense place looking for the solution to death. Now I was like, okay, how can I live? How can I make the best use of it? Whether it's moments or years, I don't know of, of what I have here and, and get on my hero's journey, which I didn't understand in, in anything beyond academics at that stage of the game. But that was really the beginning of me saying to God, okay, I, I accept this calling, I'm coming, whatever it is. Mm. And did um, the medical professionals you were working with, did they think it was some miracle? Did they have, did, what were their, what was, what were their re responses? It's a great question. I, I love answering this one. Uh, it's a little bit gory, but my, my uh, oncologist, it was actually the first time when I, when I refused that stem cell transplant, it was the first time he never argued with me. And I was fully expecting it. I thought he was like, you're going to die. You're going to die. Like he, he had done many times. But at that time, you know, whether he went into apathy or he just recognized that I was resolved inside myself, I wasn't coming from fear anymore. I was making this choice out of love for myself. And, uh, and so they let me go <laughs> and I'm like, oh, that was easy. Okay. And a few months later, I learned that he took his own life before that. It, it, I think it was probably more like six months. I had, I had healed enough that I was back to work. One of the things that I did at the time, I'm not doing that right now, but as a musician, I was going into the hospitals and playing music for people who were receiving treatments. I was literally in the very same ward where I had been hooked up to an IV and my oncologist walked by me while I'm la 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 singing like a little birdie. And I saw him and I got all excited. I'm like, I went, ran up to him. Hey, Dr. Rubinger, I'm not dead. <laughs> I said, I didn't die. Like, look, I'm here. And, and he looked at me and I said, you don't recognize me. And he said, yeah, I do. And he just walked away. He was completely flatlined. Yes. He wasn't interested. He wasn't curious. 
he wasn't even happy for me that I was still there. There was something obviously very uh, dark in him. I don't, I don't even take it personally, mm. but it was an eye opener just to see that. Yeah. Who wouldn't be curious? Well, how did you do it? What, what happened? It's like a strange full circle to, mm. to have that exchange with someone, you know what I mean? And it kind of transition between you that's, and then mm. to actually experience that manifest physically um, but between the two of you, that's, there's no coincidences, Beth. I mean, I'm sure you yeah. know that very well. And, and what's interesting there is something that I think you see on many fronts is that to be curious about something like that would then force you to come to the potential realization that a lot of the stuff that you know may not be right, you know? And th- you know, that triggers such a deep level of cognitive dissonance that it's like, no, I'm just gonna keep doing what I'm doing because there's so many things that, are, that come along with that. So it, predictable exactly. on some level. Yeah, it sends people, that inner conflict sends people into apathy because they can't stand the pain of the conflict. Mm-hmm. They have to numb out, they have to dissociate. And, and that's in a way where most, most doctors are anyway because they see so much suffering. They're literally trained to dissociate. Yep. They're told if you get emotionally involved, then you won't be doing your job. So they're not feeling, they're only thinking. Yeah. And they don't have access to that uh, deep curiosity. It takes courage to have curiosity. Apathy compared to courage, like courage is way up in the energy scale compared to apathy. And they feel helpless. They're, they're bound by all kinds of rules and restrictions and associations, really binding them. Even if they knew any different, they couldn't do any different. It's very true. Got to have compassion on some level for for these doctors that are trapped within this system where you know i mean they're just negating themselves on on so many levels and probably even the initial curiosity that got them interested in wanting to to serve i guess as a doctor as well yeah most doctors actually unconsciously and this i knew as a young child too because my my family's full of medical people you can tell how much they probably love me now Hmm. not at all (laughs) But uh, they, yeah, no, it's been a total divide. Yeah. But um, most doctors and medical professionals get into it unconsciously. The, the outside thing is that they want to help people, but the unconscious thing is they want to help themselves. Mm. And because they don't know that, and there's no training whatsoever, like in in the whole shamanic world, I studied anthropology, and you know, you would you would become a healer because of your own damage. Mm-hmm. But that was known and you were, you were trained and cultivated to walk through the fire of that initiation, yeah. whereas this all remains unconscious and they never do find their own inner healing in the process. So, so they go, you know, many of them end up drug addicts. They've got access to all the drugs. Uh, I've got a cousin that went down. He's a doctor. And next thing you know, he's got access to all of these opiates and, uh, and, and couldn't, couldn't withstand the temptation yeah. of, of that. Well, our greatest wounds become our greatest gifts, um, as it's said, you know. And it's just curious because talking and linking back to the hero's journey, it's these organic rites of passages in figuring out our own darkness, which allows us to evolve into understanding our gifts and how to offer them. But we live within this society, which kind of has allowed us to bypass these rites of passages. And so most of us really aren't discovering who we are, aren't discovering our true organic path and aren't really using, you know what I mean, the, the negativity in our lives or the difficult circumstances 
as the kindling to, to spark and reignite, you know what I mean? That, that, that journey in our, our true soul essence. Um, how, do you, how do you perceive the hero's journey and the lack thereof that, I guess, in today's society? Yeah, without judgment, most people are trying to avoid their hero's journey. Now, mm. the beauty is it's, it's the biggest archetype of all and you can't get off it. So even when you're refusing the journey, that's still actually a, a marked place on the journey. Yeah. I, I, I've uh, mapped that out on the child archetype. It, it's denial, refusal of the calling. I just want to hide under the covers and watch Netflix until it's all over. Uh, we are creatures of comfort, yeah. right? We've been taught to value comfort instead of seeing pain as a, a source of un- harvested energy and going into it to see it for what it really is to transmute it like all all the words of describing that I always feel don't quite match it but you can prove it to yourself when you go into your pain and and honestly that's how I got sick with cancer in the first place I used my whole spiritual life after having gone to India eight times I was an ardent meditator very very into uh, my practices but I used them all to get out of here Mm-hmm. because it was so uncomfortable. The more I got out, the, the, the less well I became. So it becomes this double bind. It's where most of the populations are at right now. They're, they're not well, whether it's emotionally, physically, mentally, or all of it. And, uh, and that discomfort, nobody's been taught that, yeah, that, that discomfort won't kill you. Mm. Avoiding that discomfort is, is definitely going to be the death of uh, the deeper part of yourself. So then, uh, you know, it's, it's a warrior kind of an attitude. That's definitely one of the archetypes on, on the hero's journey. The, the, the archetype after the child, when you come up out of denial and you say, yes, God, I'm coming, whatever it is, I'll do it. Then you move into the rebel archetype, which I was talking about earlier, and let yourself get mad, right? All of a sudden you're seeing, you're not in denial, and it, uh, it sends you into that, like, what? <laughs> what yeah. are you doing to my world? What are you doing to the children? What are you doing to me? Uh, but you can't stay stuck there either. You have to move forward into the warrior archetype where you start to actually make goals and you do the training, you do the hard work, you make it hard for yourself instead of always waiting for the world to make it hard for you. And it will. So you have a sense of being in control of your life and you start championing for others because that's truly the hero's journey. You cannot take it without, um, you know, you, you have to slay your own demons and dragons, but it's not complete if you don't bring the elixir back to your people. So there's the warrior that moves you forward. I don't know if you want to hear the whole. Yeah. We'd love to. Hear it. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. <laughs> so good. And uh, so, so conquering the, the lack of discipline of the, the warrior that moves you forward into a true service to humanity with the nurturer archetype, which might sound feminine, but uh, men, king heroes especially have that nurturing side. They want to help, they want to serve. And then people need to learn to do that with good boundaries, because if you help people and kill yourself in the process, which many of us are familiar with, certainly myself, yep. then you're good for nothing and, and no one. So by uh, getting those boundaries, it moves you forward into the second half of the journey, which is all about soul out of ego, like who am I, am I okay? And uh, into the soul of the journey where it's now between you and your soul, you and God, and you stop referring outward 
uh, many of the truth community are in that first archetype called the lover because the highest value is, is for truth and beauty. And then uh, you can see it in the truth community too, the shadow there being obsessive, compulsive seeking of usually lies. It, they're not finding truth, they're finding the lies. And there's a certain uh, step in that, that, oh, I've been lied to, but now what? What, it, what is the truth? And it's not a bunch of facts. It's, it's the blueprint of who you are. So that's the lover's expertise. And that moves them forward into the hedonist archetype which is the pleasure seeker. It's one that has a very bad reputation. Even the word hedonist, there's no nice word for hedonist. That mm -hmm. would be an insult if you called somebody that, but I, I feel personally, that's my job to, to bring the hedonist into light. Of course, there is the, the dark side of it where life becomes a pleasure. Many people are stuck here that, oh, well, you know, I've got my bills paid and I can take my vacations and I have the, the, the toys that I want and I've got the, everything set up and I'll just stop here right? Really tempting. Uh, but the, the next archetype on the journey is the king. Very big leap from the hedonist, the leisure of the hedonist to the workaholism of, of the king. Uh, that's actually where I found myself when, when I began to write my book and, and see how this journey was all fitting together. And so by slaying the demons of, of emptiness in, in the hedonist, you know, always just pursuing the pleasure and uh, really, it's not even pursuing pleasure, it's just wanting to release pain or to relieve pain, not release it, then, then uh, what, you, what you find is pleasure is a path to the divine. It's not, it's not an accident. It's not, it's not just a temptation that we need to, right? Because you can see all those puritanicals that tried to X pleasure while well, they end up the closet pedophiles and the, you know, people that uh, yep. are always hiding their pleasures rather than celebrating them and using them for divine purpose. And so that moves you forward into the king archetype. This is where you agree to take on much more responsibility and, and for way more than your own self. Helping people takes on a new scale, however big or small your kingdom uh, ends up being. And you slay the demons of power, right? When you, once you start to get notoriety and appreciation, and I've been, I've been watching this in myself because I get a lot of good feedback from my people these days. And it's, it's a joy and a pleasure. I never got that before. Nobody ever really liked me at all. Mm. And, uh, and then, so, you know, there's, there's some vulnerability and I've been approached by, we'll talk about this more in your second hour, but I've been, I've been, uh, pe many people have tried to seduce me and I don't mean that, uh, boyfriends I'm talking about, you know, yeah. like if, from a power perspective, trying to get me, you know, Dolores Cahill comes and says, Oh, Beth, I'm such a big fan of yours. And, and for five minutes, I'm really romanced by her. But the next five minutes, I'm going like, huh, that makes no sense. Wow. Wait, what, are you what are you trying to do here? And so when the king slays the demons of power and really turns into a servant of the people, putting their own, uh, what we would call ego, although that's a big, that's a big subject to get into as well, uh, to the side in, in, in service, then that moves you forward into what appears to be the last stage of the hero's journey, the alchemist. And the alchemist is the largest part of the journey. It contains the most, um, uh, you know, both shadows and gifts, of course, they're inherent as, as you're hearing. And the alchemist is the visionary, the one who can see far, uh, the one who can transmute energy, 
the one who can do inner work in order to change the world outside rather than always wrestling with the uh, outer demons or even wrestling with the inner demons to, to see that, no, those aren't my demons. That's my power in disguise. Uh, the, the alchemist falls down when they use that visionary power to see everything that's wrong makes them super grumpy. In fact, that was the source of my cancer, that grumpiness. Mm-hmm. It was really a big heart of it. And, uh, and, and by slaying those demons, then you, and, and, you know, in the, the hidden and that what we consider to be witchcraft and, and the magic with a K, all of that kind of stuff is wrapped in there. And, uh, and, and by slaying all those demons, you turn into, uh, you, you gain sage wisdom, you turn into an instrument of returning humanity back to nature. And where does that take you? Full circle to the beginning of the journey, again, back to the child. That's how God humbles us, right? So it doesn't matter how many times you get to the top, you're, you're, you're always at the beginning again. Yeah. So that's one of my missions, just to make people realize that don't, don't worry if all of a sudden you're lost and confused. It just means you're on the next leg of your hero's journey. So this, is, this can be throughout an entire life, but it could also be in different phases. So you go through the whole journey and then you come back around and you go through the journey and you come back around. Yeah, it's actually very similar. Now, this is all my inner perception, right? I, I, these claims, I, I just want to qualify that I, I can't prove it out there. I just know it inside myself, very much like astrology. So astrology has, you know, multiple heavenly bodies, multiple influences at any one time. It's really complex. In fact, the reason I do the archetype work is to help oversimplify it. So people have a point of entry and they can begin doing work right away without a whole bunch of, you know, knowing this huge complex picture. Yeah. Uh, when many times when when I was fighting for my life, it was all inward turning, very quiet, and I saw the the complexity of the inner life. It's staggering. And and without hours and hours and hours every single day to explore it, it's overwhelming. Right, even just touching down on it for some people can feel like, yeah, that's going to take me off my game. And so by by just seeing the shadows, seeing the places you're getting stuck, it's like, oh, every time I turn on my computer, I get mad. And okay, well, what archetype is that? And and what part of myself is is going to sleep in that way? And I think I forgot your question, Yerasmus. <laughs> no, okay, no worries. I was just curious. So you were going through this this hero's journey. And you said how the, you know, there's a process where you're in the alchemist and then it brings you back to nature and back to the child and that a person can go through this journey multiple times in a single life. And it could also be applied to the whole life as well. Is it kind of both as well? I think so. Yes. Because, uh, you know, you can, you can place yourself on the hero's journey. I have a quiz at my website where in 10 minutes you can find out uh, where you are at now you are actually at all stages of the journey at, at all times in different areas of your life. Mm-hmm. And so there's a lot of different, it, it's very, very much like the astrology, a yeah. lot of different influences, but uh, yeah. So that's, uh, you know, the, the, the journey, what I do know about it clearly is that it doesn't end. It's yeah. built not as a circle, but as a spiral. Got it. Exactly. Yeah. It either goes up or down. It's your choice. Well, I mean, this is, in my view, the oldest story in the book. And it's something that's so inherent to our nature as humans. And it's a story that was depicted in the tarot, right? 
tens of thousands of years ago, the etches of these images can be seen in, in ancient Egypt in, in the Book of the Dead. And people don't realize the first 22 cards of the major arcana literally depict a hero's journey, right? The fool is the, is the forever child archetype. And the fool is there the entire way through the journey. And he goes through his dark night of the soul through Scorpio and, and Capricorn. And, and the it's called the Nadir, which is where um, the sun is least present, where the sun is furthest away. And he comes out the other side. And you know what I mean? Um, so like many people forget that this is really it's 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 our essence it's this what i refer to it as this underlying oceanic experience that is that is always with us um and uh, avoiding it is yeah it's a it's a prickly it's a prickly road yeah because it doesn't nothing just goes away Mm -hmm. that was that was my big discovery it goes into the unconscious and it has way more power over you in the unconscious i mean you have way more power when it's in the conscious, because then it's something that you can use. I see, I see all of those archetypes as a kind of palette of God. Here's mm-hmm. all the colors that we can color with. And we came with some primary colors of our own. Yeah. Uh, but as long as you're in the unconscious, it will feel like you're getting colored. Now that the, the metaphor falls apart at this point, <laughs> but yeah. um, you know, it, your own archetype, your own inner life archetypes, because there's many, it will feel like your enemy. Yeah. Right. Like it was killing me. Well, what's but, that young quote? And until you make the unconscious conscious, it will direct your life and you will call it fate. Right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And I mean, this, 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 this leads us into the topic of, I mean, repression, you know, and the repression of who we really are, why we're really here, what we really came here to do. And the fact that we live within a society and a culture that is constantly deterring us like like a magnet on a fly trap away from that hero's journey away from who we really are away from what we're really meant to be doing and the strength and the courage that it takes to to peel back away from that and realize that all the demons that i've buried as a result of that and then begin to slay them and wield that sword of discernment and sharpen it and continue on forever you know it's to me that's what awakening is it's it's that realization of i'm here and i'm unlike anybody else and no one's like me and i've got a unique path that really i cannot affirm by looking at anyone else's path it's i've got to look at my life i've got to look at my experience i've got to look at what i've been through what choices did i make right and how can i correct that Exactly. It's a path of taking radical self-responsibility. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, most people, they have the idea, or a lot of people have the idea, especially supported by modern psychology, which was created by our perpetrators, by the way, uh-huh. that, that uh, well, I'll just sort out what's my problem and what's your problem. What's my fault? What's your fault? What's my responsibility? What's your responsibility? Because most of our conflict takes place, or, or at least can be seen the symptoms of it in relationships. And this is different. This is about assuming responsibility for how everything is showing up, how everyone is showing up. Mm. You know, in my in my best moments, I, I remember crying at my window, which there, there's uh, been a number of moments like that. And like, you know, uh, and I and I just said to myself, why did I dream this dream? And and right inside there was the answer. I dreamt the dream. Here I am, and I just fully owned it. This is, this is, this is what I've created. 
And it's not so much about the truth of that. It's more of a technique because what happened in that moment is I got flooded with energy. I got flooded with happiness. I got flooded with inspiration and ability to take action. Mm. Right. Because as long as you see that it's, it's not your responsibility, you're off the hook. Woo. Right on. But, yeah. uh, but then you can't do anything. It's not, it's not your, it's not your project anymore. Yeah. And th that's uh, that was a big thing for me with cancer. I, I was really desperately trying to find who is to blame. Oh, well, it's the water, it's the food, it's the poison, it's the fluorescent lights, it's the stress of the corporate world, it's the you know uh, hungry ghosts out there that can't get enough. Uh, and and I said, okay, well, I can find hundreds of reasons to blame. And then I said to myself, but who's responsible? I could only find one answer for that, and it was me. Yeah, that's the key. Personal responsibility coming back home, focusing on what we can control. Yep. No, ab absolutely. I mean, um, I've got a, this is, this is a bit left field, but this, everything you said just reminded me of a poem that I wrote actually in April and I've never shared this. So this is a first for everyone. Um, awesome. It's, it's a few stanzas. It goes, what is the truth that I'm ignoring? What is wanting to be seen? What is hiding from my view? Restless, turbulent, understream. How do I bring you forth? How do I summon you to the surface? What is the reason? What is your purpose? Does this pain belong to me? Have I misplaced your key? If I take responsibility, can I set myself thus free? Yes, I will take the lead. I will bear it all. I will be the cause, sink or swim or soar. Wow, that just nailed it. I World, got premiere, World premiere of Joel's new poem. <laughs> <laughs> That's excellent. That's amazing, bro. That's, that's, that's what it always comes down to, man. Whenever I reach these crossroads, these difficult situations where I just want to fucking scream, I just want to blame someone, you know yeah. what I mean? And when I really sit with it always, the question is, where do I need to take responsibility for my circumstance right now? What part of this am I responsible for? You know, and they, these are questions that I ask myself out loud in these dark moments. And it's what it always comes back to, man. You're, you're involved somehow. <laughs> Mm -hmm. And then taking personal responsibility is the more empowering thing to do. Because again, we can all sit here and say, well, my mom did this, my dad did this, my brother did this, my teacher did this, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And it doesn't need, mean we need to like fully forgive evil acts, but what are we going to, what do we do with it then? This is our life. This is what's been given to us. Like we're going to sit there and wallow in our pain and complain and blame, or, you know, we ultimately we have the power to make these choices to, to, take heroic acts to heal, to grow. And um, I just think it's the most important thing to do in one's life, you know, is being a true individual, you know, cause I, I have conversations with people all the time. And it's like, I just hear like the, the blaming and the complaining and, and it doesn't mean you, you want to repress that either and, and not feel into what happened in your past. But at some point where, what are you weighing in more? You know, at some point it's like, you have to take up arms for yourself. You know, it's like that inner call to arms of I'm going to keep fighting and keep growing and build that resilience because it's that resilience that we have mm. that's going to keep us on that healthy path in life, you know, mm -hmm. dealing with these conflicts that come up. Absolutely, exactly. man. And that, that also reminds me of, you know, I mean, the whole negation of free will thing, right? Like without free will, how can you be responsible for anything? And this is somewhere where I see so many people in, our, in the truth community trapped as well, you know what I mean? 
it's like, oh, you mean everything is just the way it is. Everything's playing out the way it needs to, the way it has to play out. I've, I can't, I can't take any action. I'm responsible for any part of it. You know, it's just, um, but yeah, to me, it's a, it is, it, it is a delusion. Mm-hmm, exactly. Yeah. That, uh, that blame and, and, and many people mistake self-responsibility for self-blame and, and that doesn't help you one bit because it's, it's actually going sideways and, and there's no pain in it. You're avoiding the pain by, by blaming yourself. And, you know, as long as you just keep beating yourself, yeah. then you don't have to do that hard inner work and, and really go into and, and face the pain that, uh, that appears to, to, uh, be the end of you, right? It, I, I've been through death many, many times. I'm a Scorpio. You, you know that already because I gave you all my details there. And uh, no stranger to death. It's one of those things. And it, it's the gatekeeper experience that if I have any any one message, I create an entire course about this to, to be able to face it. That, uh, you know, as long as that that fear of dying is there, then then it's your master and you cannot serve two masters. You're, you're, you're not going in the direction of the divine you're not serving the divine as long as you're uh, blaming yourself or anybody and avoiding all of that. Uh, you know, you, you need to see the illusion for what it is. It's not enough to, for someone to just tell you, oh, that, that, uh, that snake, it's really a rope. Mm-hmm. You, you have to go over there and, and hold that rope in your hand and, and slay that, that uh, rope that you think is a snake and realize, oh, big fat illusion, nothing here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you see our our architects of control, you know, they're turning up the dial on this fear of death coming at every single angle. That's all they have. Yeah, it's boring. Yeah. It's like, all right, come up with something new already. Exactly. (laughs) Some level. Exactly. But what what, what they're preying on is the fact that the masses aren't willing to go there, right? Mm -hmm. They're They're not willing to figure out for themselves that there's nothing to fear. Okay. And that's, and that's the, that's, that's the illusory barrier between, between most people and what's on the other side, which is life, obviously. And that's what has them lining up for the slaughter because mm-hmm. their unconscious programming says they'll be safer with the perpetrator. This is the victim archetype. One of the primal archetypes of the course that I was mentioning mm-hmm. that, that it, it's Stockholm syndrome. You, you, you turn towards the very one that's causing harm to keep you safe and you believe it. And you'll go right to the end with that perpetrator because it's, it's so frightening to, to face yourself and find you know, like even more frightening than death is your, is your power. Mm. That's right. And uh, yeah, exactly. And I mean, what, what most people are scared of when it comes to freedom is that you can't have freedom without responsibility, right? It's, 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 it's not possible. And that's, that is where their power lies. It's in discovering that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I'm loving this conversation. Yeah. No, me too. It's a breath of fresh air. Mm. Where do you want to go well, from here, bro? I don't know. Are we, what are we, like 45 minutes in, 35, 35 minutes in, I think? Um, well, you know, I'm really curious, Beth. Like, was it just Carolyn Muse's book that got you into the archetypes in a certain way? Or have you been... Have you uh, explored them or gone down the young rabbit hole? Like what's been your journey with archetypes? Like how did, how did you find them? Was it just Carolyn Meese or I'm curious. Yeah, it's uh, it's breadcrumbs, right? So in my university days, I did a degree in anthropology. And uh, so studied cross-culturally how people are um, 
you know, the cosmology from culture to culture changes. And I was always looking for the common thread between cultures, knowing that there is something uniquely human. I hate using that word now because I'm really into law and it means monster, but you guys get what I mean. And uh, so searching for that common thread that transcends culture. And so intellectually, I, I was able to do it with archetypes to see that it doesn't matter where you go, the warrior is the warrior. I worked with people from all over the world and there's never a cultural barrier because the archetypes are universal. Had people from uh, other cultures, other languages go like, Beth, how do you know me? You're like reading my thoughts. And it's like, no, I just read archetypes and, and they are universal. Yeah. So that was my first foray into it. And, uh, and, then, and, and then not again until I was sick with cancer. So Carolyn, this was my, my second uh, uh, foray into it. And frankly, when I get a little bit of knowledge out there, I always do the vast majority of study in here. And then I'll go out and, and, and you know, and then I, I studied about young and some young, but I could never relate to it much at all because it's so academic. Mm-hmm. Until I ran into his book, uh, what is it? Dreams, memories, reflections. Dreams, I think dreams I can and reflections. Yeah. yeah, and it was his much more authentic voice. He was no longer afraid that the the academic institutions were going to disapprove of him. So he was much more honest. He was uh, just giving talks and recounting stories in his dreams and how he put things together. So that was, uh, you know, there's there's one really important piece of of uh, knowledge that I got from that book. And it was basically that anything that's not your creative expression turns into neurotic addiction, right? So the, they're, they're two, uh, they're, they're exactly, actually the same energy, the creativity that is aligned with our, our, uh, our divine nature. That's what we do. We're, we're made in the image of God. We are creators. Yeah. And, uh, and, but if you don't create, then it consume, it's a, it's a, it's a consumption and, and it eats you alive. So, so that was very important, but that's really all I took from young. Uh, if, if young and I had a discussion today, we wouldn't really agree because he, d- he would describe archetypes as a kind of creature or entity. And I don't see it that way. To me, the archetypes are the blueprint that God created. You know, maybe palette, blueprint, uh, lens through which God sees that makes us all so unique. It's the same light of God, the same life coming through us, but each one of us entirely unique. Wow, what are the chances Mm -hmm. of that? Incredible variety, right? It's one life, but, but all these expressions. And to me, that's like God playing, just going like, how many varieties of myself can I create that are that are all special and unique and purposed in a certain way and fitting together perfectly that was a a big discovery of of all of this work with archetypes how it is collective consciousness this is this is where we're we're actually one it's this is not just a a spiritual uh, saying about oneness that's the truth of it and then to see how how do we fit with our with our uh, people, with our communities, with our humanity? How are we here to be part of that humanity to both give and receive in a very natural, organic way that doesn't require any, any accounting? Yeah. That's something I think we're gonna probably get away from and, and, and probably sooner than later, frankly, because we're being spit out of Babylon really fast. Yeah. Yeah. I've just loved, you know, working with archetypes in my own way because I was an actor in a previous life. And so Mm -hmm. when I was living in New York City, my first acting teacher was heavily influenced 
by archetypes, by psychology, by Carolyn Meese, et cetera. And I, I just found it really fascinating just to see like how my life and my family system and my upbringing maybe, you know, allowed certain things to come forth and pushed other things more to the unconscious. And so it was this process of like, you know, honoring that development process, but then calling on these archetypes initially in service of telling stories, but then what did that do to me as a human being? I just felt like it supported me in being more whole and more integrated. The other thing is, I'm curious your thought on this is your view of archetypes and the dream world, because I found that there were times where these energies, these archetypes would come to me in my dream world to knock on the door, you know, from the unconscious to go, hey, integrate me or hey, pay attention to me you know, things of that nature. So I'm curious your thoughts, if you work at all with dreams or have you, do you have your own practice around that? I'd love to know. Yeah, it's not a long answer because I, uh, for who knows what reason, I, I'm only fitfully tuned into dreams. Gotcha. Uh, part, partly it's, it might be because my life is so full. I don't need content from the outside. There's, well, uh, you know, uh, there, there've been, uh, not that I've had prophetic dreams necessarily, but certainly many powerful dreams, lots I could recount. And yes, they're all archetypes. They're, they're all actors on the stage playing out parts of yourself. When, when you're dreaming of, uh, of a person, I, I really do feel it's, it's part of yourself that you're, that you're dreaming in the process. So yeah, for those people that, dream a lot it's it's super valuable to to look in and see what what archetype is being expressed there and and it's not necessarily obvious on the outset that that uh, just because somebody's fighting that that's the warrior archetype it might really be coming from a different place and uh, because you can get the same very same identical behavior whether it's in your dream or your or your real life but if it's coming from a different motive it's it's a different archetype and uh, it has a different reason to be altogether but yeah that's you know the, the the symbols and the archetypes are are definitely the makings of that dream world but i'm i'm not the dream expert i have a client that is <laughs> no no worries it's just cool to see like where like let's say someone's a people pleaser or identifies more with being a people pleaser in that nature um, you know, what may be present in their dream life, you know, or even in their daydream life. It's like these, these qualities, these archetypes, they, they come to you in these different forms. At least that's what I found from my experience. And I like your your um, background as an actor too, because that's very close to what's really happening is the ability to put on and take off those clothes. Mm -hmm. Their persona. Now, you know, at the, at the very most surface, it, it's, it's personality. Mm -hmm. at the at the depths of it it's soul's purpose mm -hmm. and so you have access to that whole range of experience depending on your intentions if, if you don't have that intention you won't and uh and and you can you can play with them it it, it is it is a, a thing that you can play with it, it's once you realize that it's your tool given to you by god now here's one little thing you said about calling on archetypes and i always feel like i i have to be a, a poster child for this because for many years i called on all kinds of things gods and goddesses and archetypes and uh you know directions and you name it i was calling on it but i had a, a, a huge awakening that especially because i had to wrestle a whole lot of demons that calling on anything but god is is opening yourself up to these you don't need to call on them they're there for you okay and and if anything like don't call angels petition god to call angels and that will never uh, steer you wrong because demons show up in disguise uh, they are very seductive they can easily make you think that you're in in a, an angelic realm when when it's not the case at all so anyway that's my commercial for 
not calling on anything but God. <laughs> I love it. I appreciate it. We had Bernard Gunther on last episode. We were talking about hyperdimensional occult forces. So yeah. <laughs> I love him. He's on, he's on my show as well. Yeah. So good. I think that's the perfect place to end, end the first part of this um, episode to our public audience. We're going to let you go here. Um, this is the amazing, amazing Beth Martins. Go check out her website, bethmartins.com. Do her free quiz, King Hero or Merpreneur um, for the ladies and check out her book. I'm sure there's a lot to take away from you. Um, to our members, stick around. And if you want to join us on the other side, we'd love to have you on our Patreon community. We're probably going to get deeper into current events and what's playing out in that regard. Thank you. All right, so our members, welcome back to Here for the Truth to continue this discussion with the amazing Beth Martins. Um, Beth, I'd love to, I'd love for you to paint this little picture of Canada right now. Yeah, can I swear? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say it's a shit show. Uh, I'm here in sleepy Manitoba, honestly, when I was getting on a plane to go to an Acapulco in, in uh, 2019, um, was it no 2020 actually it was, it, it was literally just before the pandemic. I had very quickly finished to publish my book before I went off to an Acapulco. People were just starting to have masks on, on planes on the way home. And I, and I saw, yeah, that's never going to come to sleepy Manitoba, right? Nothing ever. They don't find us here. We're just, we're just a little prairie town and we're the capital of the province, but nonetheless, it's very inconsequential, especially now since everything has uh, become uh, decentralized away from Winnipeg. And then lo and behold, you know, here we are, boom, get home. It, literally, I think two weeks after that, lockdown major you know everybody's huh what's going on two weeks to flatten the curve as we know that didn't happen and uh we've had an extremely heavy-handed government here i'm i'm on the one hand i'm shocked but on the other hand i shouldn't be shocked because we're all sitting ducks mm. right we've had a good life everybody feels like oh it's so lucky i'm a canadian i have all these privileges we have a wealthy society we can have uh free education free education education, <laughs> <You know? laughs> not free, not education. And uh, we have the biggest landmass in, in all of the world with the biggest uh, volume of, of natural resources, right? So not very many people, lots of natural resources. We're, we're really attractive. They want us. And uh, so, yeah, the restrictions here have been off the charts. The Manitoba government has slammed us. It's the one province in in Manitoba, and I believe the only place in the world, although maybe I heard of one more now, where the government mandated that a child 12 or older can get vaccinated without parental permission or consent or presence, a 12-year-old, and that even includes 11-year-olds who are going to be 12 in the same calendar year. Can you imagine that? Making a life-changing decision yeah. for themselves. It actually tortures children. So that, that's, uh, you know, anyway, just one example, um, you know, we've got the usual mask mandates. Now the, the province mandated every single public sector worker has to be vaccinated by, it was supposed to be October, I think 31st, but they fast tracked the whole thing. Yeah. You either get that double jab or you're fired Yeah. and, and it happened. So our, our school teachers went back to school yesterday and those that are not willing to vaccinated were turned away without pay. 
But yeah. what's the legal recourse? Because are these mandates laws? Like if someone was really willing to go the full distance and learn the law, like what's what's available to them? Well, this is a very big subject of mine. Maybe you know already, Matt Beller and myself hosted the Choose Freedom Law Summit because as of last summer, I realized that uh, I couldn't go on anymore without some bearings in, in law. We, we knew it was wrong, and but but without having the clear knowledge about who you are and, and what a, true rights are, then you know, you're kind of lost. It's, it's one of those things you can guess at. I can, I can intuitively know, but if I don't have the knowledge, so I, I, I dove in resentfully hating it, actually, I'm still shaking that off because it's, uh, there's so much creative work that I want to do now coming full circle, realizing how incredibly creative the law is. And you're absolutely right. Mandates are not law. Orders are not law. Statutes are not law. Any man-made law is not law. It doesn't stand. But if you don't know who you are and you don't understand that your rights come directly from God, they can't be given or taken away. We've never had rights from our governments. We've only had privileges. Then you start to see through these things and, and, and they, they stop being able to control you in the same way. Because for the most part, it's all based on consent. Now, they're going against that and they are forcing people. They're going uh, against that covenant of free will. But as soon as they have to move to force, then it, there's a whole different level of liability and cost that comes down on them and they know it. And, and the revelation I had just the other night is that every time they have to force us that we don't just hand over, we don't just prostitute ourselves because, you know, for here, oh, it was just sick or it's still sick. Oh, you want to go to that? The big billboard would read, if you want to go to that football game, get your jabs. Mm -hmm. uh, you you want to go go to a movie, get your jabs. A uh, big one, Vax to win. We had this huge, oh, yeah. you know, $10 million lottery. If you if you you got entered into only if you get vaccines, there's breads and circuses at every turn. All of our vaccinated are so happy because they're just skipping through and, and uh, consuming all their usual entertainment. But uh, okay. at the end of the day, you know, those of us who see through it and, uh, and know that it's wrong and have a connection to God, because if you don't, you actually have no standing. I don't care how much you know about the law. If you don't know who you are and what your connection is there, then you don't hold true authority. Authority means, by the way, that, that you write your experience, you author your experience. And if you don't have the knowledge of who you are, that you are that spark, that, that creative being that's imbued with all of the creative power, not just a little bit of it, but all of it, then you're going to let somebody else write your world. And, and the one who writes the, the law controls the law. The one who writes the document controls the document. So we've just been really passive in not putting our voice out, not making our own claims, not responding to all the contracts that are leveled at us. Mm. We've, got, we've got military weapons leveled at us in the form of products through commerce. Right? It's, it's more clear than ever, whether it's, it's 5G and smart meters and the geoengineering we're talking about. And, and of course, these vaccines, they're all weapons against the people. And so uh, in a way, it's, it's, it's starting to get fun. And, you know, we're not just taking it. They're, they're saying that my child can go and get a, a jab without my consent. And I'm just saying no fucking way. Mm -hmm. And I'm doing it with legal instruments and I'm going to follow it through. 
And we've got a decent group here. If anybody from Manitoba happens to be watching, we have Manitoba Law and Action Group now. And we're pooling our resources, we're studying, and we're taking action. And it feels amazing, actually. Like, you know, it's there's no guarantee. Doesn't mean that I'm going to win against the school division and win against the Winnipeg Regional Health Authority, or I'm going to win against the Manitoba uh, Department of Education and Health. But I'm going to win my soul. I'm going to stand up for my child. I'm going to claim the truth. And if I die doing it, it will be worth it. Yeah. Well, wow. I agree. I, 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 you go. No, I was just going to say, yeah, no, same here. Um, on that note, um, there was a a video that went viral, viral. I don't like using that word because anyways, a video, a video that was going out there, you know, that was popular, (laughs) uh, I don't know, last month or whatever. And I believe you had Patrick King on your show. Like what was, what happened with that? Because I felt like there was this thing like, we won, but then, but then maybe like it wasn't as explained. Yeah, give some context what, as well. Yeah. Yeah. Give some context of, of what happened. Yeah. That was a really fun joke that God played on me because I, one night I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm seeing some of his footage and, and it was like this, we won kind of thing going on. And I'm like, I want to have him on the King Heroes journey. And so I just mentioned it to one person and they contacted him next thing, you know, in five minutes, I had his email in 25 minutes, he said yes to an interview the next day. So it's like, boom, I've got Patrick King on my show. Amazing. Uh, I even scooped Alex Jones. Uh, He was on my show before he was on Alex Jones show. (laughs) As a podcaster, I was pretty proud of myself. Well, Mm -hmm. and then I announced it and the messages started flooding in that he's controlled op. And that his claims aren't true and that they're they're using him to make all these false headlines. So by the next day, I I I realize, you know, I, I wouldn't have booked him if I knew it at the time. And I decided to go ahead with the interview anyway, but to come with some hard questions and and not be there, you know, to, to give my audience reasonable doubt about what uh, what what his claims are and his position. And now I'm absolutely no doubt in my mind that he is a, a manufactured plus, you know, the company that he keeps with, I don't know if you guys know Chris Sky, like he's, he's known controlled op and all those guys, they're in a cohort. It's so easy to identify them. Now they hang around together. Gotcha. Uh, I smell so- the fish. I definitely smelled the fish. We, 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 were fish. In the, we were in the same boat. We we're like, fuck man, let's, let's get him on. But something deep in my core was like, mm, wait, wait. Um, yeah. Yeah, yeah that went, that went, I mean, he, he, he was on some big time platforms as well. It wasn't just yours, right? No, he was everywhere. I, I managed to, I managed to catch him after his first interview on the, the Stu the Peters. Yeah. Stu Peters, Peters yeah. also controlled up, which I didn't know at the time. And uh, yeah, he went on to do a whole lot of interviews. I even hooked him up with a few of them after that. Uh, I saw him every time I saw his interview, he would tell, he would tell the audience that his papers were coming the next day, the transcripts of the, if this court proceeding, they never materialized. Wow. Right. It was always tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. And it, and it just never happened. So, yeah. uh, you know, it, and there's a lot of people out there like him that are presenting these either, either oversimplified solutions that nobody could really get any traction with whatsoever. Um, or, or they are outright taking you sideways by making you feel like there's hope that the, these things are being done for you, that there's all these big wins and you're winning, right? And there's nothing, I call it hopium. I'm sure you've heard that term by now. Yeah. 
that people think, oh, great, Rocco Galati is handling it. Oh, great, Vaccine for Choice, Vaccine Choice for Canada is handling it. Bill Bigtree is handling it. They're, I'm good. I can just you know go on my merry way and do whatever I want to do. But that's not where we're at right now. It's it's not the the Old Testament days where where uh, Moses could lead all the people. We have to lead ourselves. We have to get through the eye of the needle, <clears throat> whatever that means for each individual. Sometimes people come up to me and like, oh, thank God you're studying the law. I'm like, I can't do it for you. Yeah. Doesn't matter how much I know. It's not it's not going to help you if you can't stand. Right. It, even I had a, another fellow on my on my program uh, with, from uh, Angelic Law. Daniel Terry is his uh, screen name, and uh, and and he he claims to be this alternative lawyer. Again, same message. I'm the savior. I'm going to do it all for you. Uh, you know, he he he. All, because we're behind the scenes, I'm going to say this too. He tried to seduce me by saying that he would do anything for me. Get me out of my taxes. Get me a lo a, a lodial or a lodium land title, as he, as he calls it. Um, he was going to um, help us with our notice of conditional acceptance that we're sending. So he's going to send this magic letter, but that we didn't get to see. Mm -hmm. He was trying to be my savior. And I just saw right through it and went like, yeah, this, I, I don't get out of this job. Nobody's yeah. going to do it for me. And it comes back to the personal responsibility again and this savior programming that we keep seeing over and over again. Trump's going to save us. That person's going to save us, like you said. And it's like, no, at the end of the day, we need to take up arms for ourselves, pick up the books, read, self-educate, you know, do what we have to do for ourselves. But it, that, self, that savior programming is so... It's ancient. It's, it's ancient. It's, it's, it's ancient. Exactly. And if people just do stuff for you, the next time you're in a situation, you've got nothing. Maybe they helped you through one situation, but unless they can be there around 24 hours for every situation that comes up in your life, you're screwed, right? It, it's a, a parallel with the, uh, as, as you're saying, savior archetype, but also the nurturer archetype where people are always wanting to do for others what they really could or should do for themselves and uh, enabling them, disabling them in the process other, you know, that's a, how Jesus says, teach them to fish. Don't just give them fish, give them yeah. skills. Yeah. And I mean, there's, there's great personal power that can be unlocked in taking the reins during this, during this crazy time, you know, I mean, I'm dealing with three, three fines, which now I'm taking to court proceedings um, personally. And it's, 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 a, it's a process for me as well, you know, but yeah. Of course, it'd be much easier just to just to pay the fine and let them walk over me. They're a thousand dollars each. It's three thousand dollars. One of them was for sitting at the park eating a cucumber because <laughs> I wasn't exercising during my during my hour of freedom outside. I was stationary, and that's a big that's a big problem. You know, we can't have that. So, um, yeah. But the, the 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 point of the matter is, you mean it's yeah, it can be a hassle to to go and have to learn something new. And so, you know what I mean, take responsibility, but to come out the other side empowered with the knowledge and to have it, have the experience, right? I know that's going to change me in a profound way. Whereas if I just roll over and say, I don't want to deal with this, take my money, then I'm going to, I'm going to resent myself as, as a result of that, you know, and that's going to come back and bite me in the ass. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Part of, part of that alchemical work, you know, uh, we've talked about this before, is that when you do stand up for your rights, when you do stand up to this perceived authority, all of your stuff, 
all that trauma, all that thing, it, it bubbles up to the surface. You know, even just the simple act of walking into a store, not wearing a, a face covering, and then someone coming up to you to, that you know is going to say, you're not doing the right thing. You need to follow the rules. You need to do this. It's like, it's like you notice that you feel that shift in your nervous system. And in the first time someone does it, it may be more intense, but then the second time it's less and less. And then it's in essence, you're almost stepping into on some level, and correct me if I'm wrong, this warrior archetype where you're solid in your truth and you're like, no, I'm exempt from, from putting this over my face, et cetera, et cetera. That's beautiful. I love how you said it too. I am exempt. Took me a long time to switch out from that. Uh, I have an exemption, which is is wrong because then you're put you're placing them, yourself under their jurisdiction. You have their exemption, their permission not to muzzle yourself. And uh, and and I switched it over. A, a, a story that there was there was a, a day where the restrictions all of a sudden were leveled, and it was like everybody has to wear a mask in any public place at all. And I was just not going to, I was used to having my little, you know, tiff and, and uh, fight. I was very fighty at the beginning, not, not skillfully, but I was going to fight everybody yep. and, and won a lot. And uh, so then that day it was, it was over my, my uh, lack of humility, I think caught up with me, the pride. And I got absolutely slammed in two grocery stores, which is really the only place I go anymore. And the second time I didn't feel safe. I thought that this guy was going to be waiting for me outside. That's how threatening it was. And it caused trauma. It, mm -hmm. it caused PTSD. It caused me for a few, you know, I, mean, I don't know, five, six weeks or so after that to wear a mask when I went grocery shopping. I thought, that's it. I'm not going to die on this hill. That's too much for my nervous system. I'm just a girl. And, uh, you know, I use that excuse. And, and, uh, but I couldn't stand it. I couldn't live with myself. I felt sick about it. I felt like my soul was dying by putting that stupid mask on. And I knew I had to get to the other side of it. So I asked a friend to help. And uh, we went to the first store the first time without the masks. Well, we go in, nobody says a word to me, except somebody in the produce comes over asking if they could help me, that they're not telling me I'm, I'm wrong, or I should put a mask on, they want, they want to help me. But my nervous system was acting like someone was trying to kill me. Yeah. So that's how I knew I had PTSD. Here I was in no danger, but my system was acting like it was in danger. And uh, so then I had to walk my talk and do this work and, you know, go inside and find that and slay it. And I did. I never again have put a mask on. And uh, I've managed to navigate. Sometimes I get refused. And, and oftentimes, I, I managed to, to go in and have a conversation. You know, uh, I, I, it's funny, because I was with a friend one time, hope you don't mind these, these uh, war stories. That's great. But, uh, you know, and, and uh, she was scared to not wear a mask, but I was sort of coaching her. So we both walk into the store, we both got stopped by different people. The, the one said, uh, you have to wear a mask. And I, I said, uh, under, under whose authority are you, are you saying this? And, um, and, and uh, she said, well, show me your exemption then. And I said, under the per Personal Health Information Act, that's a violation that there's a $50,000 fine for that. She's like, okay, go right in. <laughs> that got to her. Meanwhile, my friend got stopped and turned away. So it was, it was very strange to be in there. And uh, then I started talking to her. She says to me, you're putting us in so much danger. We could get a huge fine because of you. So we started just talking about it and talking around it. I was able to say, guess how many of those COVID tickets go to court? Zero. 
Why? Because they're not valid, because no crime has been committed whatsoever, because there's no law. And, uh, and then I managed to get my friend in anyway, you know, so that's a long story for, for just the, there, there are ways to navigate because you're only ever dealing with a living man or a living woman. Mm-hmm. And if you must notice that, that the, the restrictions are different everywhere you go. There's one grocery store. I, if I drive 45 minutes, I can get to, it's a pain in the neck. They don't say one word to me in there, except how can I help you? Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, I go up the street to the same chain that's two minutes away from me and they're Nazis. They shame me. They make it hard for me. Even if they let me go without the mask, it's demoralizing. It's like, you don't want to be there. Yeah. 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 You don't want to give them your business. It's, I feel like that's a, it's a, it's a, an honor for them to have my business. You know, I see, I've given a lot of money to that company over the years. And uh, so, yeah, I, I just don't want that, that really disgusting feeling. And at the end of the day, that boldness is, is invaluable, whether you were successful or not, it doesn't matter by being bold like that, you're telling God that you're fearless, right? And, and when you, when you give God that message, the angels come in, right? Speaking of, speaking of angels. Yeah, here's one. Exactly. My little, my little, <laughs> I think it's called the angel. Yeah. Uh, yeah. There's so much support. Go ahead. Yeah. Like if you're not in the arena, if you're not in the, in the game, it, would easily seem incredibly overwhelming and it appears as though these petty tyrants are just trotting on whatever semblance of law or constitution there there, there, there could be you know and it's it's completely disregarded um so i'm just curious like from uh, from, from from your perspective like how do, how do you see what, what, what legs really are there for us to, to stand on when it appears as though, you know what I mean, they're just walking all over absolutely everything and it doesn't matter what, what nature says? Yeah, it's, the, it's that knowledge that even if they were to kill you over it, that they have no power over you. They literally have no power over you. And it's just that we, we, we lack that knowledge and that conviction that they can overpower you. Mm. Right. So you see all kinds of people navigating. We've had 24 speakers on the Choose Freedom Law Summit by now. Highly recommend it, by the way. A lot of different perspectives, but the common thread is, is that knowledge of who you are. Now you can say who you are and you can agree who you are, but if you don't feel it, then it's uh, it, it's just not there as if it's not there. Uh, I had another experience. So I was driving along with my son and I was actually really upset about something, nothing, nothing related to anything COVID. And I was just trying to kind of hold on to myself and not have a display in front of my son. And I was driving behind a very slow truck and I got annoyed and I passed the truck. Well, as I'm passing the truck, I realize it's a cop. (laughs) And uh, so next thing you know, the siren's going and he pulls me over and he comes up to me and he says, are you okay? And I said, yeah, why? And he goes, you just blew a stop sign. So I passed a cop blowing a stop sign (laughs) in my emotional state, like a real boner move (laughs) like this. And uh, he says, I'd like to see your license and registration, which is the classic thing, right? And I looked down at my purse and I just said to myself, Beth, don't pull anything. I've been studying all these things. I know a lot of little tricks now. I just said to myself, you know, just take the ticket. Don't don't pull a, a stunt here. You're not in any shape for it. So I take my my uh, driver's license out of my purse and I go, I'm just about to put it in his hand and I turned and my hand put it on the dash instead. Wow. It was like God did it. 
Yeah. I was planning not to. And he's like, oh, okay. He wouldn't touch it. He wouldn't grab it. He went around, he looked through it and he sees that my signature is written without prejudice. Mm -hmm. So between the fact that I didn't put it in his hand, it means he couldn't create a security out of it. He couldn't join her with me. It meant there's no money in it for him. And so he, he didn't touch it. He looks at it. He comes around again and he says, you're free to go. See, these are the, this is the next level of my evolution as like a truth warrior and a freedom fighter is really dialing in and understanding the nuance uh, and the specificity around this subject, you know? So I hear you talk, I've heard some of these words, you know, I've seen videos online and uh, it's really fascinating to, to see. Yeah, well, yeah and it's, okay, yeah, there's, there, I was just going to say, there's no guarantee it, 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 it would have gone that way. I was dealing with a very nice, compassionate person. He, yeah. The first thing he asked me is, are you okay? Yeah. He, actually, yeah. he actually cared. So you don't know what you're going to run into. They have guns. And you know you can very well be prepared to comply under duress only. And, and you tell them that. I, I, I'm not consenting to give you my ID, but if you're threatening me and you have a gun, then I'm going to only comply under duress. Yeah. And that alone, when they know you, that they have to force you, they have to order you what happens, they start taking on liability and most of them know it. You might have to go up the ranks a little bit, talk to supervisors to, to get somebody who understands that liability, but they need your consent to make that joinder. Mm-hmm. I understand a little bit and it, you kind of enter the field of commerce, right? It's just, it's just offers and claims that are being made. And once you realize that game, you can play within it on, on, on some level. And from what I understand, it's never about refusing an offer. It's about providing a counter, right? Because they're obliged to answer your claims being your questions as well. Um, so it's like, I, are you threatening me? Am, am, I, am I being threatened right now? And putting are the onus- Are you ordering me? Are you yeah, ordering, are you ordering me? me? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Are, are, you, are, you, are you going, I'm, I'm, I don't consent. I don't want to do this. But if you're ordering me, I will. Yeah. And they don't want to do that. It yeah. ruins it for them. So yeah, uh, what was I going to say that was related to the first thing you were talking about also? Um, shoot, I forgot it. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Um, have you had Tom Barnett on the Freedom Law Summit at all? Absolutely. Yeah, he's one of my favorites. You know, after 24, there's a lot of speakers. There's a lot of good ones in there, but Tom is very clean. Yeah. And uh, I like, he's, he's very practical. He's very playful. That's another thing that is, is a really great quality in law that it's not so serious. You do get to a point where you're not afraid of, I'm not, I'm not totally there. I'm not hundred percent there, but you're literally not afraid of authority anymore. You're not afraid of somebody who sits and tells you, you have to do this. You have, it's the law. I'm going to, I'm going to punish you. I'm going to harm you. I'm going to take it, take you to jail. Well, you know, take you to jail. That is a harm. That's an abduction. Yeah. And, and you get to a point where, no, they're, they're just a, a man or a woman, just like me. They're not above me. And I, 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 I shouldn't fear them. And, and it does back up to that basic, you know, if, if you, if you fear unconsciously for your life, then they're much more likely to be able to, to handle you. And, uh, and still, you know, I, I, there was one person that I interviewed, one of Alphonse Fagiolo's uh, protégés, and he, was literally standing outside there was some kind of a kerfuffle it was covid related and he was just standing outside of his place in a bathrobe to see what was going on 
And the cops came down the road and they said, get off the street in their megahorn. And he looked down at his feet and he saw he, he was on the sidewalk. He said, oh, okay, I'm okay. I'm not on the street. I'm on the sidewalk. But they meant get out of sight. So they drive right up to him. Six guys get out of the car. They come, they, they take him by the neck and throw him to the ground. They smash his face into the concrete, haul him off, right? That's what he was dealing with because they, they saw him as belligerent by not getting off the street. Meanwhile, he didn't say one word. He has it all on video. Mm. You can see it was a total attack. So these things can happen. Now, he was a complete rock star because he didn't consent to anything. And, at, you know, it, the next day, they just simply had to let him go. He didn't get fingerprinted. He didn't uh, give over information. All kinds of things never happened because he didn't commit any crime and they know it. So, yes, they can haul you off to jail. We've had several uh, rally leaders here. There was warrants out for five of their arrests one day. They still haven't got one of them because yeah. he's a, a, a church minister. He stays either in his church or in hiding and they can't arrest him in the church. For some reason, they're not breaking that rule. Like they, they break the rest of them, but you know, it's not the end of the world going to jail. I don't want to go to jail. I just, it doesn't sound fun. They, they do actually torture you in there. They woke up my, my friend every five minutes throughout the night, made sure she was completely sleep deprived. Uh, you know, they, they, there are a certain number of them, maybe half of them that enjoy causing suffering. That's why they get into that line of work. It's yeah. not pleasant, but it doesn't kill you. And you come out of it the other side. If you don't, if you don't comply and you stand your ground, then, then you see who you are and the power that you have. Yeah. Um, so I went to the, the freedom rally here in Australia in July, and I received a fine for being present. And then there were other ones planned. And I'd, I've, ha I've had visits from the cops since asking me about future planned protests, what I know about future planned protests. Then the day before they checked on me to make sure I wasn't going to the next one. So they're fully IDing everyone involved, like some kind of minority, minority report um, kind of scenario. And I feel what you're saying and what comes up to me and what I'm tapping into from most people around me is that it's not so much like for me, I don't feel like it's my personal fear but I feel like it's what's the consequences on my children if I choose to be arrested and I choose to go to jail and where, 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 where is my real responsibility um, in handling these scenarios being, being a father of two young daughters, you know, um, because in my initial scenario, I, I, I refuse to provide my ID for sitting in the park eating a cucumber because I know I committed no crime and he said he's gonna he's going to arrest me if I don't provide it. And my wife was there, and my two young babies were there, you know. And in wow. in my head, I'm like, do I want these girls to see me get hauled away by this guy right now, you know? And like, if I was by myself, that's the decision I probably would have made. But I decided to, I guess, quote unquote, comply because I felt as though the perceived um benefit was not worth the the potential trauma that i might be you know what i mean playing part in for my girls absolutely and you could never judge anybody for for that and parents have it the hardest the bible said it yeah. right in these times because it's uh, and I, I haven't figured this part out like how it, god seemed to have created some kind of double bind because if i'm willing to die for freedom and then i leave my child in this world mm -hmm. unprotected yeah 
then what is that? So it's, it's a pretty, I'm still working on this one. I'll get back to you. You know, it's so am I like, I know, I know you've had a near death experience. So have I, but mine was very, very different. I was in the ocean. Um, and I completely, I completely gave up. I thought I was done for good. I tried to get back so many times to shore. I couldn't, I was in a rip. There was nothing I could do. And you know I mean, I, I gave up, but the feeling that came up for me was you fucked up. You just, you fucked up, right? Because of who I'm leaving behind and who I'm letting, I'm letting them continue their life, right? Without, without me. And it was, it was nothing other than you fucked up, you know? And you're right. It's a, it's a bind. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I didn't even know that, man. That's the first yeah. time I've heard that story. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So powerful to come out mm-hmm. the other side. And then you get a second chance, right? Like that you can, then it, it, it's very often the case. I don't know if this happened for you, but there, the, there will be a, maybe a mending of ways or a deeper appreciation of, of the, the riches you have in, in, in being that, in that role and having those children and, and that family. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what happened was like, I mean, I could, I could no longer see the shore. So my last resort was just screaming at the top of my lungs, hoping there's some kind of miracle available to me. So I was yelling, 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 yelling. And then there was a surfer dead, deeper, deeper behind the rip. And he was wearing all white on a white surfboard. I shit you not. And he's <laughs> like, I'm coming, mate. I'm coming. And he grabbed me and we just shared the, the deepest embrace afterwards. And I'm like, thank you, man. Like he, he literally saved my life, you know? Um, Holy. But, but truly what, what you say is correct because I feel like I stepped deeper onto my hero's journey after that event. Lots of things like I, I started learning about the tarot and human, human design and about myself. And I finally decided to no longer commit energy to things that, you know what I mean, weren't, weren't aligned with me being certain businesses I was involved with, etc. So yeah, it was, it was a life-changing experience in that regard for sure. I think that surfer wearing all white knew that here for the truth had to be born. And so he came in and saved the day. Yeah. That yeah. was, Just that was something at play for sure. <laughs> exactly. Wow. Great story. Love it. Thanks. <clears throat> hmm. It's hard to, hard to go somewhere from there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a good well, showstopper. No, I mean, that's, go ahead. No, I just, I love, you know, I love the personal uh, elements of this and the stories. And, you know, we talked about at the beginning about this bifurcation of not just humanity, but just the bifurcation within families. And so like, what has been your experience in your, with your family, like the last, you know, 18 months, 17 months, especially as you've been speaking out more. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, as I mentioned earlier, my family is full of medical professionals, so not surprising that they were hook, line, and sinker in with the narrative, and they're the first to to sign up for the jab, of course, and, uh, you know, so very quickly, actually, last summer, I was invited to Upstate New York for a little truther uh, retreat. It wasn't an organized thing. I was just invited, and I was totally honored because it was a bunch of big podcasters, and I felt very special. So I drove 6,000 kilometers from here. Yeah, I blew the border, right? Like the border was totally closed, but I, I managed to get through a huge adventure. And I was super proud of myself to, to drive that far alone through the States, a person that gets lost a lot. And uh, 
you know, so it's just amazing. And I, I made sure to tell my family before I was going, because I didn't want to have them go like, Oh, Beth, you went to New York, you terrible person, you lied and everything like that. So I told them and they're like, Oh, great. Have a good trip. They, nobody really thought twice about it at the moment. But when I got home, then they demonized me and they demonized me so badly that when I went on our annual camping trip, you know, they treated me like the pariah. They didn't want to be around me. They were, they were, uh, nobody, nobody was like outright mean to my face because my family's not like that. They're, they're mean behind your back. But uh, I was ostracized. I was, I was pushed out. They had to have a big family meeting, whether I was invited to the family meal or not. In the end, they decided I could come, but or, I mean, my son could come, but we couldn't touch the food. So we had to be only uh, served for like, just like really demoralizing, humiliating, I rolled with it. It was, you know, but it was a camping trip to end all camping trips. I managed to find a truther couple on the other side of the campground. We hung out and, and uh, got high and drank <laughs> beers instead. It was just like, you know, it was nuts. And uh, so that's been, that was very difficult. I had one, only one person was brave enough to talk to me about stuff. And, uh, but right away he got bitch slapped by my sister and, uh, and that was over. He wouldn't talk to me again. So it was a kind of a write-off and very sad because honestly, the, it's not my loss. I, they, they really weren't my people. It, this is only an exaggeration. It mm -hmm. wasn't, it wasn't the creation of conflict. It was just an exaggeration of what was already there. But uh, I, I wanted that family for my son, that extended mm -hmm. family, right? It's, it, it's something that I've had my whole life for better and for worse. And, and it's just, it's really gone. They, they claim not to have rejected him, but nobody will reach out to him or have any relationship with him outside of me engineering that. So, uh, you know, it was, it was devastating. I had my own nephew that I had been a champion for when everybody in the family rejected him for another reason. I was always checking in on him, giving him money, bringing him over for meals, making sure he's okay given him gas money he never paid me back for. And then when he found out that I don't believe in the boogeyman, he told me never to contact him again, that I should go in and uh, get get psychiatric care and I should never message him again. So that, that was a real kick in the face. I'm still, I'm still feeling some pain from that. But uh, it was early early on enough. And, and like I said, that, you know, so many as my family and, and all of those other people vacated my, my premises. I was flooded with, with amazing people in the truth community. Uh, the, the quality of communication went way up my transparency, my authenticity. I thought I was already being authentic. In fact, that's like part of my platform is being authentic. And, but it was at a whole new level. Now I was hiding from nothing and no one, I'd lost everything already. There was nothing more to lose. Mm -hmm. And that was incredibly liberating yeah. and has attracted the, the most precious, beautiful community around me. I don't feel alone one little bit. There's, there's uh, so many good souls out there, very supportive above and beyond. I've connected with people on the land with a, you know, a great farm where we're likely to be bugging out even not too long from now uh so you know it's it's a gift and and yeah it was hard it was it was definitely a rite of passage but i went i went through my worst fear that i would lose my family unconsciously there is that idea that as long as you have family you're going to survive family shows up for each other and when that was gone i had to face another level of that fear of of not surviving and i did and here i am all uh stronger for it Mm hmm. I love you, Beth.
Yeah, you have family in Topanga Canyon, California, and just want you to know that if you ever find yourself here. All right, I'll be right there. You, you have a place you can just, you know, go through the border without them knowing. <laughs> yeah, I'll to blow um, the border again. And I mean, not that you, not that you want to come here, but yeah, I can offer I, you uh, Sydney. Oh man, I, I, cool have, I have. Really, I have a very dear client in Australia, and I, I hope I hope he'll listen to this and. Uh, and then I just always fantasize. He's he's got a friend that is uh, bringing a boat from Mexico to Australia, and that's their getaway plan. Maybe I shouldn't say this in public, but uh. <laughs> private, private pa- patrons only. That's right. That's right. Our patrons that are listening right now, please do not share this information. Exactly. Exactly. No, it's funny. Do you guys know who Jeff Berwick is? Yeah. yeah. Dollar Vigilante. So he uh-huh. showed up on one of my videos yesterday and uh, left a comment that he thought it was cool. I got in front of the Winnipeg School Board trustee, the uh, local division here that that uh, oversees my son's school. And uh, I got involved with a, a woman who is going to come and do a notice with us. So I thought, oh, my God, you're so brave to just jump in and learn the law and do this notice. I'll be brave enough to come and speak at the school board meeting with you. So it turns out to be three of us that are that are basically already like very linked and very connected in, in truth. And uh, we almost took a machine gun out at them. We weren't in person. It was, it was Zoom. But I opened my talk by saying, this is a notice of liability. And I just hammered them. So he, he comes on and, and uh, gives me these kudos. So now I have a fantasy that he's going to uh, get me a private jet to Anarcapoco this year. Wow. <laughs> just saying that out loud in case it could possibly happen. I can't remember why, but I was thinking about Jeff Berwick in the first part of this podcast, and I don't know why. So that's, 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 that's really weird. Um, we'll, get we'll get Jeff on here one day. I'd love to yeah, have yeah, Good, that good luck with that. Thing. He doesn't do interviews anymore. I was, I was oh, very fortunate. I inter- yeah, I interviewed him a while back for the King Heroes Journey. He had me on his podcast. That got me into Anarchapoco. Then, then again, the, the last year. And, uh, and then he did a, he showed something. He actually he showed my Pat King video, even after I told him he was controlled up gotcha. and uh, called me a friend of his. So I'm like, oh, I'm a friend of Jeff Berwick's. <laughs> <laughs> Small <laughs> thrills. Like it just, I don't know. It, it makes, it makes this, because uh, you know, if you're just suffering through your freedom movement, that's not that's not the truth. No. It, there's there's a lot of that. I'm not going to claim. Uh, oh boy, I had ta- I had my first tantrum in probably 20 years the other day, yelling at God and smashing the plastic things in the in the kitchen. And uh, very quickly, I realized, okay, this is just draining the life out of me. It's not working. I have to go back to everything that I preach and tell other people to do. But uh, it is the connection that makes all of this worthwhile. In fact, there's no purpose without connection. This is how we learn from each other. We're, we're a mirror to, yeah. to show each other what's there, the good, the bad, the ugly, so we can know ourselves mm-hmm. and, uh, and navigate in a way that is for the actually life-giving rather than sucking the life out of us. Well said. I got a lot of love for the Canadian truthers, you know, yourself, David Whitehead, Jason Kristoff as well, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Jason or if you've had him. Not Jason, no. Yeah, he's great. We had him on our our podcast. It was two episodes ago. He's he's full on truth seeker. You should Um, definitely connect with Jason. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I'd love an introduction. Cool. Cool. Definitely. Man, I think that's a, that's a beautiful place to leave this one. Beth, like honestly, just so grateful for how you show up. And you mean your uncompromising willingness to stand and speak 
your truth is just admirable and it's inspirational. And um, I'm so grateful that we, we became acquainted and that you've joined us here and that we're going to join you on your platform next week. Um, just thank you so much, honestly. Absolutely. My pleasure and honor. Yeah, thank definitely. You. Thank you so much just for everything you're doing and how you present yourself, just like the fierceness and just badassness that, that you are. And really, really grateful that you uh, spent some time with us today. Mm, yeah. Thank you so much. Before we bounce, um, uh, I'd like to share with our audience a little bit about um, how they can reach you and maybe any, any offers that you currently have. Yes, absolutely. Thanks for that. So my website, bethmartins.com, it's M-A-R-T-E-N-S.com. You can find that quiz that you talked about. So in 10 minutes, you find out where you are on the path of purpose. You get a little bit of insight into both the gifts and the shadows that you're working with and uh, get, get a sense of direction because that's often what people are lacking these days. Uh, my book the, is called Journey, A Map of Archetypes to Find Lost Purpose in a Sea of Meaninglessness. This is going through the eight archetypes that we talked about in the first hour and all of the stories in my life that connect to it, surviving cancer, uh, being a teenage runaway, stealing a car, going to jail, uh, all of those kind of stories, just to give it a little uh, juicy, juicy um, preview of that. And I have courses on the same material. So there's one specifically for the King Heroes out there, the King Heroes journey, working through those archetypes. So it's, it's one thing to just read about them and be interested in them intellectually, but to, to do that dive, to do the emotional and spiritual work, to let up the energy that's, that's lost, seemingly lost to you. There's also the Merpreneurs journeys for women entrepreneurs. So that if you want to be valued for your purpose, and frankly, I think everybody needs to be valued for their purpose because that's how you fit with society, then that course is there. Um, I'm just about to kick off my first, I'm not sure when this is going to run, but I'm about to kick off my, my third journey code coaching certification, which is based on teaching people how to read archetypes. You know, that was, this was inspired by the pandemic because instead of laying down and dying, I prayed to God saying, what could I do to serve right now that would be of, of helpful help to people, but also inspire me and make me feel okay about going out and offering something when everybody's losing their job. And, uh, and it is a good answer to that if you're losing your job because you can create your own private business. Nobody tells me what to do in my business. Right? They're not coming after me. They're not restricting me. They're not telling me what uh, I can charge or what I can offer. I can change on a dime. They can change on a dime. I can change on a dime to adapt. So that's really good. That's going to kick off. There's, there's currently one spot left open. If you hear this in time and you'd like to jump in, then just send me an email, beth at bethmartins.com to be trained as a coach. It's a seven month program. It's like banking on the future. Cause sometimes you think like, are we going even next month? Is it a given is the, the following month a given? So mm -hmm. by creating a seven month program, then I'm just saying, yep, we're all going to be uh, engaged for seven months, learning this, this uh, deep knowledge and how to serve others in a deep way as well. Uh, there's the primal power course, which is available. Now you can just go and click a button on my website it can be done either as a standalone course or with coaching as well. So I do business coaching one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, there will likely be trainings such as uh, that um, you guys are familiar with in helping people to turn their passions, skills, talents, and interests into a service-based business that they can get out and, uh, and serve other people with as well. So I think that's pretty much the lay of the land. Oh, also... <laughs> 
I know I mentioned it before, but the Choose Freedom Law Summit, I can't recommend that enough. Matt Belair and myself got together. We both had this the idea at the same time. I picked up the phone. I said, hey, Matt, would you like to do this with me? He said, oh my God, I, I just had the thought yesterday to do a law summit. And uh, wow. we just went ballistic this summer. We had Catherine Austin Fitz on and Alphonse Fagiolo and Robert Menard, who is a kind of legend in the law world. Uh, Tom Barnett, as you mentioned, Todd Wetzelberger, uh, um, uh, Dolores Cahill actually sought us out, Mark Batalek. So a ton of really heavy hitters, so much knowledge in there. We got nothing but good feedback. It's now open uh, by donation and we make regular new bonuses. Today, we interviewed Lena Poo. She's like oh. a beautiful, beautiful woman, highly recommend. I was going to uh, bring her up because you mentioned notice of liability and we met at the Music and Sky uh, Festival that was right. in Marcal. We, uh, we were there. My wife and I were there. Um, and uh, yeah, it was pretty awesome. So cool. Yeah, she's a good one. I, I, I like her a lot. Definitely. And there's a Paul Unslaved connection here as well, I think, between. I, well, I met Paul Unslaved at Music and Sky uh, as well. Yeah. Do you have Paul Unslaved in, on your on your podcast or no? Yes, he's been on my show a couple of times and he's uh, he's on the Choose Freedom Lost Summit and he just reached out to me wanting to do another show. So I think I'll be having him on again. He's awesome. He's oh yeah, such a good human. Uh, we connected uh, up, up Music and Sky and he's coming on our, our show too um, in October. So looking forward to it. Fantastic. It's, again, it's so great. Just like the silver lining of all of this are the connections being made that because of there's this line in the sand is that the uh, the connections that are had are coming from this really deep organic place. And, you know, you can't put a price tag on that. It's very satisfying at a deep soul level, because again, purpose and connection are the same thing. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. Wow. Mic drop. Beautiful. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so uh, much for coming yeah. on. Oh yeah. Thank absolutely. you so much for hosting me. Yeah. Huge pleasure. Thank you. Likewise, and to all our members, we, we appreciate you so much and we appreciate that you value what we do. Um, we appreciate that you're patrons and you're listening to this and thank you. And if, if, if you enjoy what we do, please spread the word and we, we, we'd appreciate it. Um, thank you for listening to episode 26 with Beth Martins and we'll see you in a few days. Take care, everyone. Smoke and mirrors, I'm seeing through the illusion. Waking up in a the time, they think you're in a delusion Somebody set the alarms, cause they be too busy snoozing I'm in a DeLorean